The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me uh, invite you to go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Daniel chapter number 7. Of course, we've been studying through the book of Revelation, and um, in order to get a a proper grasp on um, all that is taking place and will be taking place, uh, we said it's important to go back, actually, and we'll talk more about that in just a moment. Uh, but of course, the book of Daniel has been called the, uh, the revelation of the Old Testament, and uh, so we'll pick up some things in, verse, in chapter number 7 in just a moment. But so far, we've studied through the first two sections, as outlined anyways, uh, by Jesus to the Apostle John uh, for this book of Revelation. And so in essence, you could say we're two-thirds of the way through, but not in length anyways, as just as segments-wise. Uh, the first segment, of course, includes that th- those things that, uh, that John saw, and uh, that was past tense. That was things that took place while he was on the Isle of Patmos. And then, of course, he was to then turn around and write the things that are. We uh, discuss those things in chapters 2 and chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. And uh, these uh, included the seven letters to those churches in Asia Minor. And uh, not only did it include details of things that the Lord wanted uh, to see happen um, in, uh, in, in the church's life, and uh, specifically at that time, but it also had some prophetic elements about it as well. And so we looked at how each church uh, represented to us a specific time in what we would call our church history or the church age. And so give me that next slide, Brother Robert, if you would, and we'll uh, just recap and review of those things all the way from Ephesus to Laodicea, uh, beginning there in the first century, around 30 AD or so to 100, all the way to the present time where we are now. And we discussed how all that uh, correlated and went along uh, as we studied each and every one of those books as well. And so it's, but it is the times that are because it describes the period in which the church is in existence. And so, so long as the church is, we are. Does that make sense in that way? And so, uh, and, and, and are is, is kind of confusing if you think about the fact that it's, he was writing it at that time, around 95 AD or so. So R would have been present for him but would be passed for us, but it encapsulates the entirety of church history. And so therefore, so long as the church is in existence, this remains true, uh, and those segments and that time frame remains true as well. And so until the events that take place after these things, what things will take, uh, is, is going to take place after? Well, it's the things that were of the church age. That's why chapter 4 of Revelation says the things hereafter. And uh, so until the conclusion of our church age and where we are now, uh, that we will be in that R segment. And uh, those times have yet to be gone, those things that are, or, or to, to be hereafter. Uh, but that's going to be the part three that we will get into here in just a little bit. Uh, and as you see on the screen there, that how it all out, the outline lays out in a timeline, in, in frame. And so uh, the things he saw was taking place, yeah, to an extent during the church age, because the church was around by that time. He was writing to it. Uh, but then it includes everything that is involved in the church age, and once the uh, once the return of uh, once the church is gone, I'm sorry, the rapture takes place. Then we can move into things that are after, 
uh, leading into the return or the second coming, I should say, of Jesus Christ. But of course, as I've said already, before we move forward into things that haven't happened yet, it's important to move backwards to make sure that we understand how we got to where we're at. So give us that one, Brother Robert. And uh, so we are in the church age, but we got to go all the way back, even before the church age, uh, because the church age or our church history is on the heels of a specific age, uh, the last age before Jesus will come and set up his millennial reign, that kingdom to come. And so as we learned, the, the background of this present age that we're in um, was found particularly in Daniel chapter number 2. And uh, Daniel chapter number 2 gave us some information. It gave us the insight to the beginning of the age. In fact, Jesus himself gave us the name of this age in Luke 21 and uh, the times of the Gentiles or the age, as we're, just to make sure that we're all on the same page with terminologies, we're using the age of the Gentiles. And so we studied chapter 2 uh, last week, and we studied that, uh, that uh, statue that, uh, that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his dream and in that vision, and we discussed how, uh, how it was laid out and all of that. But uh, this age began as the, with some criteria that was laid out in Scripture. And the scripture that uh, the, the scripture gives us this criteria, Brother Robert, give us that one, please. The four things that outline this uh, um, uh, criteria for Daniel's kingdoms that would be involved in this age. Uh, it has to be a Gentile kingdom first and foremost, because uh, that it has to do with uh, it being the dominating power of the day, that it defeated its predecessor, and that it's controlled or trampled or trodden down Jerusalem. Now, of course, if that's the case the Jews aren't going to do that to their own capital. You see what I'm saying? So that's where we get that it has to be a Gentile kingdom. And we said for the first time in history ever that all of these things were true at once was when Babylon came in and took control over, over Jerusalem, took the Jews captive, and that's where we get the beginnings of Daniel, uh, the book of Daniel, chapter number two specifically, as he gives us that insight. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar uh, has this dream, and it's outlined by that statue as we discussed last week, and it serves as a timeline of the, the, the kingdoms that will be involved in this age. And so we saw that the first kingdom represented by the head was that of Babylon, then by the chest or in the midsection there is the Medo-Persian Empire, then the uh, third kingdom uh, or those thighs, waist into the thighs is the Greek Empire, and then the bottom half, it, was, it, it started with Rome, no doubt, we understand that. Uh, but because of the, the, the split in the legs, because of the ten toes and, and so much more, we understand that it's not going to be just one particular kingdom like the other three were. Because in chapter 2, he specifically said that it would be uh, divided and broken to pieces. And so this kingdom, while, uh, while it is true that a, a Gentiles will be in control of, of Jerusalem, or at least have part control over Jerusalem, that, uh, that um, there will be uh, persecution of the Jews and such and so on, and, and all the things, the criteria, we see that that's still in play today, even though there's not one specific 
kingdom. It's not like America's that, that kingdom. You see what I'm saying? And so we're using the terminology that this last kingdom is compiled of an imperialistic democratic alliance of different countries and different, uh, um, different uh, uh, kingdoms, if you want to put it that way as well. And so tonight, we move a step closer into understanding why what we've just studied is important. Uh, we, we know that the fourth kingdom is the only one that really matters because it's the one that closes out this age. It's the one that comes to an end when Jesus returns. Plus, it is the one uh, that, uh, since we are in it today, that impacts us the most, in fact. Uh, and so, as, as it turns out, the purpose of Daniel chapter number 7 is actually to give us additional details to what we've already learned in chapter number 2. Now, again, if you are here with me um, as we discussed uh, the book of Daniel, much of this might be recap to you. You might remember it, and it, it might uh, bring to remembrance some of what we discussed. But it's always important to make sure that we all have the same foundation. And if by chance, by any chance, you feel like this is uh, moving too quickly through everything, uh, then you can always go back and catch those things online if you'd like. But notice with me uh, tonight, well, let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. Uh, but we'll go to Daniel chapter 7 and verse number 2 to begin. Our Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for the time to be in your house. Lord, help us as we study your word. Give me the words to speak as I deliver it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice with me first, number one tonight, the vision of these beasts here in Daniel chapter number seven. In Daniel 7, 2, it says, Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from, the, from another. Verse number four says, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings and beheld uh, till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made, uh, made stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. Behold, another beast, the second, like, unto, like to a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in, his, in the mouth of, of it, between the teeth of it, and they said, Thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Verse 6 says, After this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings as of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces and stamped and, uh, uh, the residue with the, with the feet of it, and it was uh, diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns." And so because, Daniel 2, because of Daniel 2, we can quickly move through and summarize much of this this evening. Uh, but like Daniel chapter number 2, Daniel 7 here is giving us some insight or a description of this age. And it can be seen very clearly as we compare uh, not only the two together, but also history as we know it. And the animals line up even with the earlier chapter of chapter number 2, uh, only one animal representing one piece of that statue along the way. So first off, we see that it starts with a lion. Uh, which uh, is like the, like the head of gold in the statue. It represents that of Babylon. Now, of course, this is an artist's depiction of it. It is not probably specifically uh, how it was seen, but it does, does give us some insight into what it might have looked like. 
we, we say, well, how do we know this is Babylon and that it represents this time? Well, as we go through, all the pieces will fall into, like they fit together perfectly. It's like the, the glove was fit for the hand, unlike, um, uh, what was his name, uh, uh, O.J. Uh, o. Jackson, right? Yeah. Uh, Simpson, I'm sorry. And uh, so it was made for his hand, uh, made for, like it's supposed to be there. So listen, um, we find that we, it matches with what was taking place at the head, the power of it. Um, also, an interesting note to, to consider is the fact that Babylon's official symbol was a lion with wings. In fact, archaeologists have, and you can Google this and pull it up. I didn't put it in the slides tonight, but you can pull it up. Archaeologists have uncovered a statue in where would be ancient Babylon of a lion, except it's missing wings. You could tell they were there, but they've been broken off. Interesting, is that not what the Scripture says would happen to it? The lion had had eagle's wings and beheld uh, till the wings thereof were plucked. And, uh, and nevertheless, we find that that all matches together, and, and uh, the lion stands up like a man and uh, has a mind of a man, it says, and it sim- symbolizes the man at the start of this age, the one that had all the power that we talked about last week, the one that Jesus said, or the, the Scripture said that had he went to all the corners of the earth, every inch of the earth, that it would have been his. And every man and every beast would be under his uh, dominion. And uh, we'll return to these details in just a little bit. But secondly, we see in this that the uh, next beast that is mentioned is that of a bear. And uh, this bear has three ribs in its mouth. And this represents, of course, that second part that's on the statue of the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, The kingdom was the result of the uniting of the Medes and the Persians. And as we said in the statue, many times it's depicted with its arms crossed, representing the two arms being Medes and Persians and combining together to be one major power. But we also find that this this bear, it says, um, is lopsided in how it stands. Notice that in verse number five, it says, lifted up on one side. Uh, that speaks to, I believe, the, how although it, they were one in, in their power, that uh, the Persians were much more mighty or powerful uh, of, of a side than that of the Medes. And so it was lopsided representing that. It had three ribs in its mouth is interesting because by time, um, by time uh, the Medes and the Persians came into full power in their day, uh, they had defeated three major, um, three major kingdoms uh, in their own. Egypt, um, uh, the uh, next one, uh, lose me, I'm sorry, but then, of course, that of Babylon. And so it had three uh, specific major victories to be able to come into the power that it had, and it reached its zenith. It was, uh, there it is, uh, Lydia and Babylon and Egypt, and uh, these three represented, of course, by those ribs there. The third animal represents the third kingdom, of course. This would be the Greek empire, and uh, it is represented that, of course, uh, by this, this, it says in verse number six, a leopard, and it had on its back four wings as a fowl and four heads. Now, the interesting note about the Greek empire is the fact that <clears throat> it moved into power much quicker than any of the other kingdoms would have ever thought of being able to. 
And so just their sheer, their sheer quickness in rising the power represented by this leopard. If you may, even faster than a leopard could run, but a leopard that could fly. And uh, so nevertheless, we see that taking place. The four heads, of course, uh, and the four wings are representative of the fact that when Alexander the Great passed, his kingdom was divided into four territories and four segments, north, south, east, and west as well. But finally, we come here to verse number seven. And it's interesting, going back to what we've discussed already, the fact that the fourth kingdom is all that really matters, right? Because it's the last one that before Jesus' kingdom's uh, set up, it's the one we're currently in as well. And notice, we're in the sixth verse of this chapter that has 28 verses, and we're already into the fourth kingdom already. And so we see that the main thrust of this is the ending and how it's going to end as well. And so this final, finally, we get to Daniel's description of this fourth kingdom. And like in Daniel chapter number two, the fourth kingdom breaks the pattern than the rest. The, the Babylon, mighty, powerful, one uh, monolithic power, if you may. Medo-Persian, if you may. Although they were two, they worked together as one in the same way. Greek empire, the same exact situation. Even after Alexander the Great passed, it was still the Greek empire just underneath those four divisions as well. But now we see that this last beast in verse number seven, he breaks the pattern. Just like the legs of the statue and the ten toes, verse seven tells us the same thing. After this, I saw in the night visions. Uh, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and had great iron teeth that devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse. Notice what he said. It was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn before whom uh, there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouse speaking great things. So we find that uh, collectively, these bits and pieces of what was once a single kingdom uh, conspire to achieve the purpose of this age. And what is that purpose? To trample Jerusalem, to, to persecute the Jews, and so on and so forth, as we've already discussed. While in the case of the first three animals, Daniel referred to them in the sense of real animals, to an extent anyways, lion, leopard, and bears, oh my, right? Uh, but uh, he, he spoke of them, uh, and, and although they were not like we would see them today, they had an appearance that we could liken to. But this last beast is much different than anything else. It's different than anything he can come up with. And this animal is just simply dreadful. It's terrifying, he says. And uh, like the statue before it, the fourth beast crushes and breaks to pieces or breaks apart the previous three kingdoms. Now we get some additional information as well here in this chapter about this fourth kingdom that we didn't get in chapter number two. Chapter 2 served as a timeline as it, as it ascended down, where chapter 7 serves to give us details concerning these specific ages uh, or these specific kingdoms in this age as well. It says that there was 10 horns on this beast. Now, of course, we can say, well, I, I saw that detail to an extent in the fact that there's 10 toes on a human person, right? And uh, so we see that match together. But we get one more detail after that as well. 
he says that, uh, that there's, after the ten, there's an eleventh horn. So this eleventh horn is an interesting aspect. It's something that ha- was not given to us in chapter number two. And this eleventh horn has a personification about it as well, because he says that it has eyes and it has the mouth of a man. And this reminds us that Daniel's description of the lion, it reminds us of what Daniel said about the lion who stood up like a man and who had a heart like a man and a mind and such and all those things. And it reminds us of this, or gives us this insight at least, the fact that the way that the age started will be similar in how the age ends. The age started with one mighty single power, one man who had ultimate control over the world, Nebuchadnezzar, right? And this, this age will come to an end now with one individual being a single power as well. And so we're seeing a pattern that the one who comes at the end will be like the one at the beginning. But before we look at this extra horn more, let's finish the vision a little bit more. It says in verse number 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, th- thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened." So the end of this age happens with the Ancient of Days, it says, being seated upon his throne and ruling and and bringing judgment. We remember that the statue came to an end as the rock that fell from, from from heaven, uncut by human hands, fell at the statue's feet and crushed them all all of the kingdoms together uh, and, and broke them to pieces. Now, we said it served as a timeline. So Babylon was years, hundreds and thousands of years before the ending of this last kingdom that we're currently in. So how does that one come and crush all of them collectively at the same time? Because it's speaking of bringing the age to an end. And so Jesus' return to set up his millennial reign brings this age to an end. So now Daniel finds uh, his attention drawn to this fourth beast. uh, And so that's where... The rest of this chapter goes as we would expect, of course. Jump down to verse number 20 with me. Verse 20, it says, And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows, I beheld. And the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High. And the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. So the ten horns reminds us of another ten that we already discussed. We've seen it in the statue, the ten toes. Uh, but because the statue gave us a timeline, we know that that comes at the very end of this, what we're calling an age, the time right before Jesus' millennial reign. So we bring that knowledge forward to help us understand that these ten horns, what they actually represent at the end. Daniel wants to know about these horns, but even more than the ten, he wants to know about the eleventh. And so look what he says in verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be 
the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms. Again, we're, we're getting information that this fourth kingdom will not be exactly like the first three. It's going to be diverse. It's going to be different. Uh, it says, uh, and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it to, in, in pieces. And the ten horns out of uh, this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise. And another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And uh, they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. But the judgment shall sit, and uh, they shall take away his dominion uh, to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. So this fourth period of the age is a period of fracturing and dividing the world into pieces, if you may. But these pieces will expand to an, end, to an end, they will work together even to devour the whole earth until it is uniting into one single kingdom. Let's, let's just be honest about it. When we consider the world we live in today, there's, what, over 200, 250 nations or so, um, uh, maybe even more than that. Uh, but that concept, the concept of having so many individual sovereign nations is relatively young to our world. If you go back in history, you'll find that the, the world had been ruled by, in certain times, one kingdom, maybe just two, three, or four kingdoms at, to, to the greatest extent. The, 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 the expansion that we see right now is kind of the exception to the rule rather than the rule. And what Scripture is telling us that there will be events that will take place that will bring our world back to what it was much more like before we had all these other nations and such. If you've ever heard of phrases like one world government and things like that, because that will literally take place. There will be a time where uh, dominions and, and, um, and um, Political policies and things will, will work in such a way that there will be much more cohesiveness as far as being you know, under one uh, subjugated rule of one, in, one person or one, uh, one nation than what we see today. But we see that these pieces will expand, that will devour the earth until into it one single kingdom. Uh, this is a reference to a period of time uh, and is uh, one of several places that we see clear connection to the book of Revelation as well. We find, when we look at verse number 25, that once it gets down to that last and single one individual in power, he'll only be in power for a particular amount of time. It says specifically he'll be in power for a time, times, and dividing of times. And this phrase or one very similar to it is found only in Revelation as well. And uh, to make it simple, it is Time, times, and a dividing of time. So it is time, one year. Times is plural would be two years. And then a dividing of time would be a half. And so 
three and one half years is what is being said there. We find that again in Revelation. We won't take time to go there tonight, but we'll see it as we move forward in Revelation as well. Well, then we understand if we already have any concept of the tribulation time that the Antichrist will be the one that is the prominent, the, the true power at the end, the last half of the tribulation period, which the tribulation is seven years. And so three and a half would be half of it. See how it's all correlating and coming together as well. But to summarize, we have confirmation now of what we learned in Daniel chapter 2, that the age of the Gentiles will consist of four kingdoms. Give me that slide there. Next one, Brother Robert, if you wouldn't mind. It confirms what we read. We, it, it emphasizes the importance of the fourth kingdom over the others. And it reveals that this fourth kingdom progresses through a series of leaders. It starts with 10. Then this 11th one shows up, but he takes away three. And so we're left right at the end before he takes prominent power that there's going to be seven nations or seven kingdoms um, plus him, this 11th one that has taken control. And I don't know exactly, it doesn't give us great details of how it all goes down, but evidently this 11th horn rises up and he's kind of like Mr. Nobody. Like once this time comes about and everything kind of starts to consolidate, there's going to be 10 major powers. And this 11th one is kind of like comes out of nowhere. Nobody even knows who he is. He's not really important, but somehow he rises to, starts to rise the power and he completes his rise to power by eliminating three of the original ten. Now, what I would guess and estimate to happen is the seven that remain, after seeing what he did to the other three, they're like, we're with you, buddy. Because we don't want that to happen to us. And so they bow themselves in subjection to this one, which brings him to complete rule over all things. And so we see how that all comes together. But lastly tonight, notice with me number two, the verification of the beast tonight. And look at verse number 28. Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cognitations much troubled me and my countenance changed in me. And, um, uh, but I kept the matter in my heart. So let's kind of uh, put this all together in a visual which we can uh, see. So give me the next slide if you wouldn't mind there, Brother Robert. And uh, so here is our timeline, uh, and we can start to actually put time uh, periods to it as well, because uh, now knowing how they correspond together and, the, and each phase or each part of the statue or beast begins when that specific power takes over and takes control. And so 605 BC with the beginning of Babylon, the head of gold and the uh, lion with wings, of course, then to that of per the Medes and Persians in 539 uh, with that of the midsection or the arms and uh, the bear, then that of 331 BC with the Greek empire uh, with the waist and into the thighs and that of the leopard with the wings and to where we're at right now, that a beast and the, la the legs the church age is going to be a part of this, and that doesn't necessarily give us, a, you know, not laid out to give us an idea of how much of this age the church will be a part of, but just to give us a visual and to see what it is. This is going to go, we don't know yet. We don't know when it's going to come to an end, but this is where we are at today. And we're at, actually, we're in the final stages before the last bit of it. The last bit, you, you know enough already, is going to be that tribulation period. 
that seven years. We're, if we are in the last of the church age, which I believe we are, then we are right there on the precipice of the, the final time of this age as well. And so there are four stages. The final stage is the key piece of the puzzle since it ushers in the eternal age and the kingdom of Christ. The end of this age is marked by an upheaval and rule uh, such that the entire planet will be under the authority of ten kings. And during the final three and a half years, those ten kings are overruled by one individual um, and uh, takes, uh, takes control and rule until the return of Christ. The first three kingdoms, guess what? They've come and gone. We've seen that. We've seen how that's unfolding. And uh, the dates tell us as much as well. We learned in part two of John's outline in the, the book of Revelation that the church will experience seven periods, which we discussed already, which we believe were in the last. So we're now rapidly approaching the end of this age. If you would, Brother Robert, give me the next one. We're, it's, it's coming to an end. And so if going back to where we were before, that uh, we're in this last age, what we're calling the age of the Gentiles. We're in the last part of the age, which is, encapsulates the church age, which involves the things that are in chapter 2. The things that are after, from 4 through 22, uh, begin when the church is no longer here. So we are right there on the brink. We're right there at the end. We're rapidly approaching the conclusion of this all. We're lacking the details, though, about the timing of the ending of this age as well. There's, some, there's a little bit more detail that's going to help us to wrap this all together and to see how this works. You say, why does that mean? Well, because I'm going to make a statement that if you don't listen to what I say, you're going to say I'm a heretic. Because this is that. This is the statement. Jesus, is, Jesus Christ cannot return in His second coming today or tomorrow. You say, preacher, hold on a minute. You are a, you're, you're, you're speaking heretical because the Bible says that his return is imminent. That is true, which we'll discuss that next week more, maybe the week after, and give you some more insight to that. But let me say it again. Jesus cannot return for his second coming tonight or tomorrow, or more than likely the way things are politically even, you know, next week even, or in the months to come. Because as we've seen already, there's not 10 world powers only right now. So here's, here's what I'm saying. If someone were to stand here today, or you have a conversation with someone at work or a family member or somebody that's just mixed up in their, in their prophecy, and they say, you know what? I can tell you right now who the Antichrist is. He's with us right now. You can tell me they're wrong. Because the Antichrist doesn't even come onto the scene until there's 10 powers. And there's much more than 10 powers. So I don't think we're going to subtract down the 10 powers tomorrow morning. <laughs> so that's why I'm saying I can pretty boldly say Jesus' second coming return will not happen tomorrow. But what about the Scripture teaching an imminent return of Christ? That's important as well, which Daniel chapter 9 will give us a little bit of information too. And as we jump into the beginning of Revelation chapter number four as well, you say, preacher, you've got me all confused. Well, here's what you need to do. You need to make sure that you don't miss, especially the next couple weeks, because this is foundational. We're going to keep referring back to it. I mean, months from now, yes, we're going to be in Revelation months from now still. <laughs> months from now, 
we are going to be referring back to, show me that last slide that was just up there again, Brother Robert. We are going to keep referring back to this, and we're going to keep adding elements to this. Remember when it was just the church age part? Remember when it was just Saul and R and after? And then we added age of the Gentiles now, and we, then we added that circle to show us where we're at currently. Right? We're going to keep adding to this. We're going to keep referring to this. This is foundational for us to have a proper understanding. But what we've learned this evening is we can clearly state with confidence that we might guess at it. I, I, let, me, let me just put it this way. If the Antichrist is on this earth right now, he might be alive, and someone could probably guess and get lucky at it. I'll, put it, I'll give you that. But no one can definitively say, I know who the Antichrist is because he doesn't even come on the scene until the world has been minimized down to just simply 10 powers, all right? And so we've got that much going for us. And now we'll be able to, because we're lacking those details, we need to jump into some other portions of Scripture to get the details we need. And thankfully, Daniel 9 gives us the timing of those events and lets us put the church age into a proper perspective as how it aligns to the overall age in which we're in, the age of the Gentiles. And we'll study the timing in four sections uh, and we'll, we'll begin that next week, all right? And so, our Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for all that you do for us, Lord. And, and I pray that uh, you'd help us to have understanding, that your Spirit would guide us. I know that your Word promises us that, and we claim it it's to be true, that your Spirit will guide us to all truth. And God, we know that you've given us this insight, uh, not so that we can be haughty or, or prideful or boastful, uh, but that we can, might be able to see where we're at in your uh, time of events or at least have a, a, a general estimation of what might be taking place, that we might be motivated and uh, ready to serve you and that we might be able to be looking earnestly for your return and for your coming. Lord, I praise you and thank you for your goodness and we do ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if, I, if my statement about his return not being able to happen tonight or tomorrow and it scared you and you have questions about all that, you think your preacher's gone mad, please see me afterwards. I'll be glad to explain it some more. Uh, but uh, I do want to uh, kind of get into that detail with, uh, with, uh, as we study the scriptures. And so, Brother Matcha has the cards in the back. If you've not turned one in yet, hold it up high so he can get it from you this evening. And uh, then uh, we will make that a matter of prayer as well. All right, these are brand new tonight. If you would make sure to write them down, make them a matter of prayer as well. Miss Sandy's asking prayer for Brother Ed, uh, Brother Ed Wilhelm, of course. Um, the, um, he got word from the doctor, and my mind went blank, Jonathan. What was that? What were they calling it? A bursitis, that's right. And so the doctor's asking him to uh, be on bed rest for two weeks. And uh, so he's uh, enjoying, well, I don't know how much he's enjoying it, but uh, he's in bed tonight, and uh, other than going to a few appointments and things like that, he needs to be uh, off his feet. So be in prayer for him and that pain. Yeah. Yep, so be in prayer for Brother Wilhelm. Uh, also be in prayer for uh, Mrs. Reamer, Janice Reamer, uh, went into the hospital with kidney stones. They were going to try to blast it out, um, but then found that there was infection, 
And if they would have done that, they would have spread the infection to the blood, and uh, that would not have been a good, of course. And so um, they uh, put in a stint. I talked to her just before church and uh, put in a stint to help try to get the infection out with some uh, other pr- uh, procedures as well. Sent her home with pain medicine. She is home right now. And uh, so be in, pr- be in prayer for her. In two weeks, she's supposed to go back. And as long as the infection is cleared, they're going to surgically remove uh, the kidney stone because of how large it is. And then she also asked that we pray for David, her son, who's been experiencing migraines at this time as well. So please be in prayer for them. Um, Brother Don, Miss Joey are asking, uh, well, let's see. Um, Pray for their family, of course, uh, with uh, Roger passing this past Friday. Uh, for the, pray for their niece, Sonia, and uh, for all that will be going on there. She's just praising the Lord tonight as well for uh, those that helped and, and offered some comfort and, and uh, prayer at this time as well. Uh, Ms. Flora put in one for Janice as well, so thank you for that. Um, Jonathan, uh, pray for his dad, of course, for... Um, you ask in prayer for Miss Sandy, uh, for relief from some dental pain that she's having, and then be in prayer for him for wisdom for some important decisions that needs to be made. And he's praising the Lord tonight, and he says, God is good, and we praise the Lord with him for that for sure. Uh, Brother Larry Whitworth is asking prayer tonight. Uh, June's friend Melody um, has lung cancer and uh, also behind her heart, and so. Um, she needs encouragement and healing. She is saved, though, so we praise the Lord for that. Uh, but please be in prayer for uh, June's friend, Melody, and this cancer diagnosis. Um, please be in prayer for Brother Richards. Um, uh, he is going to be speaking at Sun and Shield Baptist Church on November, not November, September 24th and 25th. And so pray that the Lord would use him there. And then, uh, of course, uh, Eric just graduated from his training here and uh, going to be deploying soon, so be in prayer for that uh, deployment, and then be in prayer for an unspoken uh, for Eric and his family as well, please. Uh, Miss Christie is asking prayer tonight for uh, comfort for her family. Uh, they lost their niece due to COVID. Uh, earlier today uh, was the memorial service, and so please just remember the family and uh, keep them in your prayers. Um, of course, this is an update uh, from Kyle Willis. We have of course, have mentioned that Kyle, uh, Quentin made it uh, safely to Japan. He's done with his quarantine time, and uh, so we're praising the Lord for uh, the work that he'll be able to accomplish there. And then uh, his daughter Amelia and the family made it safe to Corpus Christi. Um, she did get sick and is in need of prayer for healing at this time, so please keep Amelia in your prayers. Uh, Miss Juanita is asking prayer for Kyle's grandma in the hospital with COVID pneumonia. Um, has, looks like they're saying she has permanent lung damage. Uh, they want to give her a trach, uh, but I think the family's going to be looking for a second opinion on that, right, Brother Powell? And uh, the, their, his mom and brother are traveling there, uh, so pray, pray for travel mercies. And then here's an update on uh, Justin's uh, Nana Mary. Uh, she's been de- doing chemo, and uh, we'll be getting scans done in the next few weeks to see if the chemo is working. And so please keep that a matter of prayer and then also for an unspoken as well. So those are the requests this evening. I do want to encourage you to find yourself a prayer partner and uh, pray for as long as for as little as you'd like this evening. And uh, then we will, of course, be dismissed afterward on praying. So let's find uh, ourselves a, a prayer partner and let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight.